Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Osband, our Daf of the day. Daf Yed Aleph, page 11. So, this Daf is, you know, longer, actually, than I than I think I anticipated. I don't know why I would anticipate anything, but it just sometimes... Part of what kept going is that there were new topics, and some of these topics we have been waiting for. So I'm eager to get right in. We're going to start with a Mishnah, um, which is well, a third of the way down or something on Amad Aleph. Hidla alea et hagefen vetadlat vetakisus v'sikech agaba psula. So this is talking about the sukkah, right? Meaning it's it's assuming that you're in the middle of the conversation of the Mishnah, the previous Mishnah, and now. On your sukkah, you're going to put climbing plants. So we're talking we're talking about uh, ivy and maybe grapes, and certainly there's a discussion of some gourds. So these kinds of things do climb. And then what happens when this goes up on your sukkah? Now we talked about this briefly. You know the question of what happens if it's attached to the ground or if it's not. So these are the ones that are indeed attached to the ground. Um, and so then the question is visikech agaba. Um, flourishing greenery that is becoming part of the sukkah, schach, whatever, which you then put other schach on top of, meaning unattached schach on top of. Um, so the mission here is pretty clear. Psula, that does not work. It will not be a kosher sukkah. But if you had a lot of schach, as opposed to the plants themselves, oh, shekitzitzan, kshira. But if you, if the, so if you have a lot of schach so that the plants are really not the big deal, not really providing the shade. Or if you cut those plants so that they're no longer attached to the ground, meaning that obviously changes everything. So then you have a kosher sukkah. This is always used. Principles, general rules of thumb. Here you are, Dana, you've been waiting for this. You don't use it for schach. Anything that will will become tame, um, we you know we don't use it. It's not allowed to be used for schach. Anything that not get tame cannot become rendered tame impure, <laughs> but also. Um, but also it grows from the ground, right? There are other things that will not become tummy, but they don't grow from the ground. That's not relevant to this discussion. So there's the basics from the Mishnah. Yerdan, I'm going to turn it over to you for a surprising appearance by Tzitzit. Well, we had Tzitzit appear beforehand, and it's interesting to see that um, the parallel to Schach seems to be Tzitzit. This is the second time that we've seen this. So the same way that there was a parallel about the construction of the sukkah te ruven, which made a lot of sense, right? It's either taking walls or beams and constructing it into a halachically significant space. That's how I would think of it. So this is the second time that we've also seen a parallel between tzitzit and sukkah. So the previous one was about intention, right? Where, at what point do you need to have intention for your sukkah to be a sukkah to fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah? And at what point do you have to have intention that whatever thread you're using uh, needs to have intention to beat seat seat? So I, what I like to think of it is that it's taking inanimate object for ritual purpose 
And at what point along the way does that inanimate object have to be designated as for that halakhic purpose? And here there's a different parallel that gets brought up. What they're discussing here is if you take schach, right? If you take this vine or something that was already attached to the ground and then you cut it and do you have to lift it? Like, in other words, how do you make it fit to basically be schach? And so they come up with this interesting discussion. I'm not going to read it. It's actually pretty lengthy about seat seat. And the question is, is let's say you take your thread and the thread is very long, basically. And you take one end and tie it to one end of the corner of your four corner garment. And you take the other end and tie it to a second end. So the two ends now are basically connected to each other by this thread that you tied. And so the question becomes, you know, did you really fulfill the mitzvah of, of tying and making the tzitzit itself? And so Rav would say, well, you just have to cut it at some point. And once you cut it, so it goes back to its original four corners and it's two separate things, then it's totally fine. It's kosher tzitzit. Shmuel and Levi basically say, no, it's always, it, it, it's, it's never good, basically. It's always going to be pasul and even uh, sort of, cutting it, it's pisulim olam. I mean, that's really what it says. There's no way to correct it because in other words, you tied it without it being sort of separated and the four corners itself. And so again, I think this, it, it, it is a, ver a variation, I think, on the intention issue, which is that can you prepare tzitzit in a way that it's not really done correctly, right? And is there a way to, to fix it? So Rav would say there is a way to fix it, right? Shmuel would say there's no way to fix it. Once it's tied incorrectly, it's tied incorrectly. We're not going to sort of let you retroactively go back and sort, well, it's not even retroactively. We're not going to allow you to do a correction and then make it okay. Um, and so I, I, you know, I think this just brings up a lot of questions about, you know, when we do something, uh, sort of preparing a ritual object and we don't necessarily do it from the outset the correct way, are we allowed to fix it or are we not allowed to fix it? Now, I know I'm saying this in a very big sort of general way, and I think it probably is going to fall out that any each specific case of ritual object probably has its own nuances or ways of looking at it. But it's interesting to see what interested me here is sort of that overall question of correction um, and that, again, seat seat in a different way this time is going to be parallel to part of the construction. We're going to use it as a parallel piece for part of the construction of sukkah. And again, a Reuven makes sense. We get why a Reuven makes sense. But seat seat is really, it's an interesting parallel. And again, I think it's the parallel is it's inanimate objects that are being used for a ritual. And so I think that's why they keep turning to seat seat. And I'm really curious to see how many times that's going to pop up uh, in this entire Masachet, specifically with Tzitzit. So, so far, we're on two, but just a few dapim. And I'm curious to see if we're going to see it again. I'm also curious. I have to admit that if you were to, you know, wake me up in the middle of the night and say, what's the connection between, between Tzitzit and Sukkah? Right. I would come up with different things than everything you've just gone through. Right. I would say, well, Tzitzit are designed to help you remember God's mitzvot and the sukkah makes us, you know, remember our vulnerabilities and God's protecting us all the time, right? I feel like I would make some kind of like theological, I don't know, more philosophical kind of comment that would put them together because I don't see them. 
as lad as logical buddies, you know, outside of that kind of dependence on Hakadosh Baruch Hu aspect of things. Uh, I totally agree. Now we were excited also because something else popped up on this hand, <laughs> which I know you're going to talk about, which we were also waiting for. And again, I think there's something about Masach Sukkah, unlike Sachem and Yuma, which was talking about ritual that hadn't been done for hundreds of years. These were things that were very active. So there's sort of like a background that doesn't need to be given. And they just sort of like drop things on the page editorially because there's just an assumption everyone knows about it. So that's exactly what happens here. They're talking about the sukkah. And then the next thing that happens is suddenly we're talking about the hadasim, the hadas, which is one of the four um, species that are brought as the mitzvah of lulav, right? The mitzvah of the dal minim, the four species, um, which includes a lulav and hadasim and arava, that's a willow, and an etrog, of course. So, and a lulav, of course, is a palm branch. So <clears throat> we know, we know from the from our introduction and we know from looking at an overview of the whole of the Masachet, that we're not expecting to get to the mitzvah of the Dalad meaning yet, right? That's just not what, that's, it's going to be its own discussion later. But at this point, we finally, I mean, it still feels like finally, because isn't it one of the main mitzvot of Sukkot? And so we want to say like, no, where are those Dalad meaning, even if it's not the focus of the chapter? So lo and behold, here finally there. They, they show up and there's a discussion about specifically about the Hadas and in the connection of the Sukkah, which isn't even really my interest here because what happens next is because there becomes this discussion of a machloket over whether um, the Hadas, whether all four of the Minim needed to be bound together or not. Do they need to be prepared to be together or not? And what makes them, you know, in this way, like what makes them um, kosher, really, for what they're supposed to be doing. So I'm just going to read a very tiny bit. My love, Baha'a Mifligay, isn't this what the they were dis- disagreeing about, right? You know, previously on the death, the man, the machshir, the person who says that it would be kosher. If so, this goes back to the dasim. Let me just take um, take one step back. I'm sorry, I jumped ahead of myself. Um, the hadasim, the myrtle branch. What we see when we put together a lul of an etrog, right? We just see the leaves, and they're rather beautiful leaves, um, but the actual plant grows also with, ber- it also grows berries. So now the question is, what can you do if you have these berries on your on your branch? What, you know, do you have to get rid of them? Is it kosher? Is it not kosher to begin with, right? This is all the, the backdrop, backdrop of the discussion. So the Gemara here says, zohi asiatan. When you cut those branches, you're preparing them to be part of the Dalad Minim. And that's, you know, according to the one who says that they're going to be fine, that's all you really need, right? That you put them together to be part of the lulav. Um, and then, v'gabe lulav, nami amrinan, tan zohi asiatan, the plucking of it, the picking of it, right? That is going to be um, the doing of it, the preparing it to be part of the dalmidim. Man de pasio, the person who said that you can't use it, so then is it is it that simple is it so simple to say well either you think that this preparation that this activity in getting you know obtaining the myrtle branch and obtaining the lulav if those are sufficient to count as the preparation of them for these four species to be bound together or not you know, and that seems to be the question. Either you've fulfilled this need, 
of doing this preparation or you have not. And the person who says that is puzzle, it maybe just holds that that kind of um, plucking, you know, whatever, or cutting is not going to do the trick. So it, it goes further requires a body. And we'll come back as, as much as, it, you know, I'm so it's also not the real focus of the duff, but I just wanted to, I, I felt like we couldn't Hello, it's here, you know, to, to finally talk about it. Um, and yes, I think I'm going to leave it at that. You're Dan, if I'm leaving something out that you think that must be said, because the Gemara here is actually quite rich and it's really just a matter of timing, as we always say. Yeah, just when you read it, notice how rich it is, but it's great to see the Arba meaning here. And I think for the sake of time, because we also know the next few days are a little hectic with Tisha B'Av, So we're trying to be a little mindful of that as well. Um, you know, I'm going to hop on to the next piece here. So one of the things we talked about yesterday was this principle that Tzach cannot be Mechabal Tuma. And so, of course, that sort of was mentioned in the Gemara before we got to the Mishnah. It does actually um, appear in this Mishnah, right? So, so there has to be basically two criteria, right? And it has to be uh, and its growth is not from the ground. So in other words, something like uh, animal hide, I guess would be the most common example, right? Like that you would not, or, she, you know, you would not be, uh, you can't use as, uh, uh, you would not be allowed to use as chach. Um, so uh, now we see a beautiful Midrash Halacha uh, that sort of talks about what is the actual source for this. Um, and again, I think one of the challenges or what's interesting about sukkah is and I know I keep repeating this, right? All the all the pasuk says is basukote There's literally no detail as to what does that mean. What does the how does it actually have to be built? So unlike a Reuven, which again is a you know putting together certain materials in a particular way to make it a halachically significant structure, but we all know that that is. It's rabbinic law. And so one of the things that was super interesting about a Reuven is, is that there wasn't any Midrash Halakha, right? This was something the rabbi set up. And so the rabbis basically sort of had a lot of freedom in a certain way to sort of figure out how they wanted that Halakha to be into play. They did use certain principles and things like that. But, you know, that, but, but, but there was a lot more freedom. They weren't bound to saying like, here's a pasuk here because, we know that this is a mitzvah de Raisa. We see time and time again, right? We, we've seen this from the beginning that, you know, they, you know, for how they explained the sukkah that was too tall or sukkah that was too small, sort of this looking for psukim and trying to find ways to connect some of the halachot of what this structure is supposed to look like to psukim, even though it's not explicitly written in the text. So here they have a very beautiful one, right? Which is, about, uh, and, and they're going to go through a few here, so I'm not going to read all of them. This actually continues on to the top of the next staff, um, but I really like the first one the best, right? Which is, okay, right? How do we know this principle? How do we know this about the sukkah that it cannot be makabel tuma? Amarish, sorry, the roofing, the schach. Amarish Lakish, Amar Kras, Rish Lakish says, and he quotes here a pasuk from uh, and this is interesting. It's from Bereshit. Okay, this is where we're quoting from chapter two, verse six. The eight yala min ha'aretz. There was a mist that came up from the earth, and basically the rest of the says, and it watered 
the rest of the ground. Just as this mist, right, this cloud is basically not but it also comes from the ground. So, so too, right, the sukkah here, right, but really what it means here is the roofing of the sukkah must be of something that is not mekabel tuma, that's not susceptible to ritual impurity and also grows from the ground. And so I think part of what they're doing here, here is that the concept cloud, right, the aneha kavo that we talk about that always protected B'nai Yisrael in the Midbar. Here we have another example of another cloud. And I think it's very interesting that this cloud is taken from Bereshit. It's much more universal. It's not specific to B'nai Yisrael. And looking at the description of how this cloud sort of watered the whole earth itself. And again, I, you know, everybody should go and look at all these psukim and what exactly is going on here in Bereshit itself. Um, and based on this cloud and a cloud sort of always symbolizing uh, God's protection um, on this earth, it's a physical, uh, it's a physical manifestation of that protection, right? Um, that this is how we learn these halachot. It has to come from the ground. And we know that water or cloud is not something that's really mikabel um, tuma. And if we also look at this, what's interesting, what's happening in this particular parak in chapter two is that basically nothing had grown yet on earth, right? There was no trees, there were no herbs. This is some of the who came before yet because there had been no rain. And so what this aid represented was the first rain. And it also talks about that there was v'adam ein lavod et This is from, from verse five. There was no man to actually work the earth itself. And so that this was sort of the way that God got um, men to be able or, or people to start to be able to work the earth because once you started the cycle of growth, right, you take those seeds and then you replant them. So I think it's also significant that this comes from that when Sukkot is sort of the harvest festival, right? This is the end of the harvest. It's a celebration of the hard work that is partnership between man and God, right? Man works hard to cultivate the fields, but we also know that whatever grows is also because of God's blessing. So I think there, when you get to Sukkot this year, if you need a beautiful Devar Torah for your table, I think this <laughs> is, is really, no, because I think it's significant. It's not taken from the Ananea Kavod of the Midbar. It's taken from Bereshi, and it's taken specifically from the cloud that is the first cloud that provided water before anything grew. And I think this is all symbolic of what we are celebrating or commemorating on Sukkot itself, right? It's God's protection, but it's also a celebration of that partnership that without God, anything we grow that we're thinking about, that we're really celebrating the bounty of our labor during Sukkot itself was not possible without this first aid, without this first cloud mist that God gave us. That's beautiful. Um, I'm going to wrap up because we, I, you know, it's been a busy daf. And also, as we say, we want people to be able to catch up if you have not um, kept to the regular schedule over Tisha B'Av. Um, we hope that the day is an easy one and a meaningful one whenever it is that you're listening to this, or I guess if it was, it's a little bit garbled here. Thank you for joining us. Um, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think about the introduction of all of these different topics 
uh, in the midst of discussing the sukkah. Um, thank you to Rebbe Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Mm-hmm.